When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Carol. Hi, Bob. Good morning. I have a Copper Canyon daisy that has been in a regular black nursery pot way too long. And okay. I need to plant it in the ground. Should I put rock phosphate in the hole like I do for my tomatoes? It will always help. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it produces as dramatic a result on uh, something like uh, Copper Canyon Daisy, but as it does on tomatoes. But uh, it is always a help. And just remember that because uh, rock phosphate and most other forms of phosphorus, they get tied up in a form that plants can't absorb very quickly. So what you want to do is put a thick enough layer, and that usually means maybe a quarter of an inch thick, that uh, the plant actually grows its roots directly through it. If you blend it into the soil or if you just dust it around, you're just throwing chalk on the ground is all you're doing. But if you're actually putting a thin layer of it down where the plants can grow their roots through it, they will very definitely benefit. And phosphorus does help a great deal in, in developing roots. Okay, then I have some growing green. Should I sprinkle that around sure. on the soil yep. after the plant is in the soil? You can put it in the bottom of the hole. You can put it on the surface, or you can do both. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you so much. Now, let me tell you just one more thing. Copper okay. Canyon Daisy is a perennial marigold is what it is, basically. And it is what I would call a short-lived perennial. And that those big plants don't live, in my experience, if you get three or four years out of them, you're really doing well. So, you know, when that plant is in bloom, and, and they're, of course, short-day bloomers. They always bloom in the fall. Sometimes they bloom in the spring. You know, save a few of those old seed pods. Pull those seeds out. Kind of work them into the soil around the plant. Because if you've already had this this Copper Canyon Daisy for several years, um, it's kind of an old senile plant. It's not going to live forever. So be sure you've got some new ones coming on. And like I said, they do reseed fairly easily. You can also take some cuttings off the newer growth on there and root those if you like. Uh, but just uh, <laughs> I don't I don't want this thing to start going south on you and you're saying, well, I guess I shouldn't have put these things in the ground and all. Uh, that plant's already old. That plant's not going to be with us a whole lot longer. So be sure you give it the opportunity to reproduce itself. Okay, well, it's blooming, and it looks great. That's very good. Well, hopefully some of the flowers will get pollinated. They make that same, just a smaller version of what you're probably used to seeing on regular marigolds, and uh, they will make seed. They will start some new plants around, and that's a good thing because uh, there's no more deer-proof plant out there, and uh, they're great for a lot of the pollinators. Copper Canyon Daisy is a great plant. Uh, It just, unfortunately, has a short blooming period, but sure worth it for all those yellow flowers. Okay, well, hey, thanks for all that good information. You know, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for the call this morning, okay. Carol. <laughs> all right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, I'm going to talk to Robert, and then I've got wide open lines, so uh be a great time to call. You know the number, 210-599-5555. And I say good morning, Robert. Good morning. Morning, sir. Well, the good news is my plumeria cuttings, I I did get some success. I mean, good. I didn't all take. Um 
But anyway, the ones that have started to grow uh, have put on quite a few leaves. I mean, Very good. Really, really getting quite big. One is a um, uh, like a Y-shaped, um, and, and, and both uh, parts are, are have a large leaves on them. They're in a pot that's like six inches tall, and maybe at the top is like uh, three or four inches square. Okay. How long can they stay in that before they have to go something maybe a little bit bigger? Oh, gosh, I'd say probably a year. Oh, okay. And and I will tell you, cuttings on your plumerias um, sometimes take a long time to root, and sometimes you will have a heck of a bunch of new leaves coming out before you have roots. I mean, and I know people are often surprised. They will get plumeria, young plumeria plants that have a nice set of leaves, and they take them out of the pot, and there's almost nothing in the way of a root system on those plants. So uh, I think it is better to leave them in the small pots for an extended period of time because it, you know, like I say, it may be sometime after you see leaf growth coming out before you start getting any roots at all then and, and here's the reason that can happen with plumerias because they have that big old thick fleshy stem there is already a huge amount of nutrients stored up in that tissue i mean if you had a little skinny ficus stem or you know some uh one of your perennial salvias or something that you're growing from cuttings that plant's got to get some roots it's got to start absorbing water it's got to start making sugar and things pretty quickly because it didn't have much reserve when you took the cutting. The plumeria, on the other hand, has that big storehouse of material, moisture, and nutrients stored in that big old thick stem. And even those cuttings that haven't rooted yet or haven't started sprouting leaves, if that tissue is still firm, man, don't throw those cuttings out because I've seen plumerias, especially in cooler times, they sit there for four to six months before they really start taking a rooting growing so anyway i guess that's just a little bit of plumeria 101 but uh, they can make a very large plant in a very small container they just get so top heavy but but just don't be in a hurry to transplant them if, if you've got them in pots growing man i i would i'd leave them for a year before you do anything that's really going to upset the root system I was just pleasantly surprised. This is my first endeavor into uh, trying to do anything from a cutting, and, and I, I can still remember taking that plumeria plant and taking that clippers up to sure. their branches. Oh no! And I actually cut them. Well, and my my neighbor, um, we're swapping. She she has a minor uh, the white and yellows. Hers are the uh-huh. pink. So um, she went to she and her husband went to Florida. Uh, Hawaii, so she, she gave me the top of her piece, literally cut the top of her plant off. So yeah. I got, I think, seven different cuttings uh, out of that one to pot up to get different colors. So we're going to swap that one. Well, back. They, are, they are great things, and, uh, of course, I'm sure you knew to let those cuttings just dry totally for oh, yeah. two or three days. But, uh, no, just don't, if you should accidentally pull up or whatever, you know, one of those new little plants that's forming the leaves, don't be surprised, like I say, if there are no roots whatsoever. Sometimes that plant will have a dozen leaves coming out before it makes the first root, but that is perfectly normal 
normal. That is just the way plumerias grow. Since you've had some success, um, might think about spending 20 or 30 bucks on getting a propagating mat, one of these uh, kind of a warming rubber mats. They have like little heating cables back and forth in them. And <clears throat> it creates what we call bottom heat. It really warms the soil. And there's just nothing out there that will help a plant form a root system faster than getting it started on a propagating mat. And uh, you're going to get hooked on this. You're going to have a plumeric collection that practically forces you to move to find more room one of these days. So good luck with it. You're off to a good start. Oh, very good. Hey, uh, one other area of my garden is sort of a semi-shade area, and I, I tried to make it a vegetable garden, mm-hmm. but never had much success with the area, maybe because of the lack of... Almost certainly lack of light. Yes, sir. Um, so last year I put in some um, mint plants and mm-hmm. things just to have something in the area. Is there, and, and they have actually, some of the things have been dividing quite nicely, you know, putting their runners out. Uh, what other, like maybe herbs or things that I, could I put in this, that area just to, you know, keep it green and growing and productive. <laughs> well, any of your oh, leafier herbs, I'm thinking of things like parsley and dill, they will grow with a little less light. Your woodier herbs like oregano and thyme and those things, they've pretty much got to have full sun just like your veggies. But uh, mint is always a good choice, parsley, dill. Uh, in the summer months, basil will be a good choice for you. There are lots and lots of different basils. They will not be quite as tasty in a shady area as they would in more sun but boy there's just nothing that grows as fast and uh you know as thickly as your sweet basil does once the weather gets good and warm and then you've got things like your african blue basil that may actually be perennial but those are a few of the herbs that are going to do better and then realize there are a bunch of different flowers that you could be growing there both things that are grown for their colorful leaves like coleus and caladiums, uh, then flowering plants uh, like begonias and impatiens, some of your perennial salvias, even the smooth-leaf sage and uh, oh, the eyelash sage and the tropical sage. Uh, those are all things that will be happy and will grow and uh, either make plenty of flowers or make things that are edible. All those things will be fine in your shadier bed. Oh, well, good. See that? Now i got plenty of things to plant well and if you if you ever happen to be you know over in our neck of the woods uh we've actually got a is is like a two-page list it's a big front and back list it probably has 50 or 60 different things that'll grow in the shade be happy to give you a copy oh even better okay well thank you bob it's my pleasure robert appreciate the call you get in and have a good saturday will do thank you sir (laughs) bye all right, let's get back to gardening. We're going to talk first to Mike and then to Taylor. And uh, and the world wakes up here in a few more minutes. Those lines will be jammed up, and you'll be wishing you would dial now. But anyway, that's how it goes on Saturday mornings. And I say good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. How you doing, sir? Uh, it's just, a, just another nice morning out there. Good, good. <clears throat> Listen, Bob, uh, you was talking to a lady a while. i got a couple things here. You was talking to a lady a while ago about broccoli. Yeah. Um, I, uh, in fact, I cut some heads of that waffle yesterday, and uh-huh. I, I think this is my second year growing it from uh, seed, and it just, uh, man, the heads, you know, I just can't get any big heads out of it. I know it's been, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of sunlight, uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know, if, you know, if, if time just, you know, if it was just time or, 
timing or what, but uh, uh, as far as the heads, uh, you know, they're they're almost puny. So, you know, well, I'm, I'm was this for, was this in the spring or I'm in the fall? Some, something else. I'm sorry. Where where are you talking about your spring crop or your fall crop? No, no, I don't. I don't do a spring crop. I, I planted. Uh, I planted them in November, December. Okay, next year start a little earlier. I usually plant my first broccoli even in August, September at the latest, because this gives you a chance to get a big root system on them while the soil is still warm. And your older varieties, now they're never going to make as big a head, but just kind of depends on what you consider big. Even the Walthams, you know, they'll make a head that's four or five inches in diameter. They may not be. I've, I've had heads on some of the uh, the when I was starting out with some of the green magic and the others and hopes that they would branch well, I get heads that were easily seven inches across. And your, oh, yeah. your newer varieties will get giant heads. The older ones simply are not going to get that big. But if you want nice, big fall heads of broccoli, plant them much earlier than you did. I mean, I'm, I've got heads on broccoli out there right now that are probably and these are some of the older varieties that are at least six inches in diameter but these things went in very early in the season when you plant when it's already cooled you will get broccoli and you can grow nice big heads in the spring you just have to be watching because they go from being a tight head to being full of yellow flowers in about three days time but i think your biggest thing is i think you just need to start earlier and perhaps fertilize a little bit more because to me november you can still plant but that's a lot later i'm i'm picking broccoli by the time you're planting yours yeah 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 i'm i'm you know i'm i'm religious on that growing green so yeah yeah, it's not fertilization and looking back now that you mentioned it uh you know before i started seeding seed planting every you know growing everything uh yeah uh earlier earlier plantings you're right you know uh, early september late august early september did yield much bigger heads you know with the green magic whatnot so yeah maybe that's it uh Okay, Bob, uh, butterfly weed and um, uh, the other one will come to me in a minute. And I know, you know, the name implies uh, I, I saw a rack the other day, and it had a couple things I was interested in, butterfly, because I'm after the butterflies. Uh, butterfly weed, did I hear you say one time that that stuff can be, in, you know, can get out of hand? Not really. Um, okay. Yeah, there there are several different things. There's butterfly vine, butterfly bush, butterfly weed. Um, That's what this was listed as. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. butterfly weed is botanically it's Asclepius. Uh, there are a bunch of different ones. The native ones are not very showy. Uh, the one that is you know planted most often in the garden is this one Carvasica that is. Uh, uh, they call Mexican milkweed, and it makes a yeah. ton of seed. It makes those seed heads, and the the seed pods are kind of like dandelions. They have the little sails on them, and every yeah. little seed pod may make a hundred or two seed. But I've never seen them become invasive. They, you know, I, I guess a smaller percentage of the seed. But uh, no, I most people wish that they would, <laughs> you know, become a little yeah. more invasive. But none of those three plants, butterfly vine, mascagnia is a woody vine. Butterfly bush is what they call a budlia, and uh, it's yeah, never it's going to make a big that. plant. But uh, no, I, I would not consider any of those invasive, Mike. Okay, the I, I remember a red flower on the package, and again, you know, 
I'm after the butterflies. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've got plenty of showy stuff. I'll have plenty of showy stuff over there. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get as many sure. species, you know. Yeah, I, now, you if know, if uh, you're talking about little red flowers, there is... Um, yeah, they were little. Yeah, there there is a uh, um, it's in the morning glory family. They call it cypress vine. And because the leaves are kind of feathery looking like those on a cypress tree. But, of course, they're in no way related. Now, the cypress vine can become a bit invasive. Uh, It's you know, it's an annual vine. So to me, it's not not a problem. But uh, it's certainly another good one if you have a fence or a trellis. You want to grow something butterflies, flies will love something, an annual plant. You can grow up that trellis. Cypress vine's a great choice. It makes a ton of seed, and that one might almost become invasive. Yeah. You know, now this was the name I remember with was butterfly weed. I yeah. remember that distinctly, and I'm yeah. trying to think. There's another very common oh, perennial, so to speak, uh, purple coneflower. That's what I'm I couldn't remember the is it dips, uh, Yeah, I now pur- the purple yeah. coneflower is not going to be invasive either, although it will seed. If you're looking for right. purple invasive, um, uh, the uh, little Mexican petunia, uh, which is a ruellia. Now that one gets. Yeah, I've got. I've got. My, my daughter's got some of those. Yeah. I don't. I don't want those. Uh, uh, but. Uh, again, I'm after the I'm after the butterflies. Isn't the yep. coneflower a good flower for Cone, butterflies? Coneflower is an excellent flower for them. If you want to plant some of the zinnias, they are annuals. Oh, but I do that. Yeah, I do those every the year. The butterflies love the yeah. zinnias, and uh, there are uh, the so-called butterfly bush is a great attractor. There are several different kufias or kufias. Some people say the so-called cigar plants. Those are just butterfly magnets. Um, yeah, my gosh, grandmother grew those. Yeah, yeah. There, there are lots of different things. Many of the salvias are very, very popular with the butterflies. Uh, the thing about the Asclepias, those are also um, the uh, host plants where the larvae will feed on the leaves as well as the flowers being good for nectar for them as well. So remember, in any complete yeah. butterfly garden, uh, you you want things that uh, where the caterpillars can grow and passion vines. If you're looking for something, the butterflies will love the flowers and have a great food source, especially the uh, purple forms, incense, and some of those passion vines, pretty much all the passiflores. Those are, are great butterfly host as well yeah I, I do the deal and you know my wife got a plant just a just a twig from a little hundred year old lady that she took care of when she was doing home health and it's uh, it's rue i believe it's an herb and, yeah. and bob that actually uh this last year i think the water got it but i did manage to get a couple of cuttings off yeah. of it and just stuck them in a pot and i mean you talk about something easy but there oh, yeah uh, Rue is all kind of caterpillars. Oh yeah, Rue is a fantastic plant, and you'll find it fairly available because it's used in a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of cooking as well as for some medicinal purposes as well. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I've had this one. She's had that plant probably twelve, fifteen years, and it mm-hmm. looks like it's a big half a big round as my wrist yeah. at the bottom, and it kind of turns, and I even. Even found a little uh, wren's nest in there, but I think it's give up the ghost. But I did manage to get get a couple of cuttings off of it, and uh, 
you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that over there, you know, along with some other things because it it gets the butterflies and the larvae oh, yeah. as well. Well, you'll find plenty of root plants if you want to get more started faster than you can grow your own cuttings. I mean, it's a common herb, a couple of dollars a pot. You should be able to find. Uh, all the root that you want to plant it's it's widely used and south of the border they use it even more where my little sister lives down in uh in saltillo and coila um they they use root yeah, for many yeah. many purposes yeah yeah that the, the little lady that that uh, she used to take care of was a avid gardener and you know had had old pecan trees and whatnot and she uh you know, she she swore by that and and many other things. It's it's pretty interesting. You know, uh, you know what I learned from my grandmother and <laughs> what you learn from other folks through the years. It's uh, keep your eyes and ears open. Fun, that's what's fun about it for me. You know, you're always you're always learning. We're always learning and, and experimenting. So you're okay, doing it right. Well, Mike's good to talk to you. We'll talk again. Let's go ahead and talk to Taylor. Good morning, Taylor. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How about you today? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Good. I had a couple of questions for you. Um, I got a big yard of St. Augustine grass. Okay. Uh, what kind of fertilizer would you recommend for it? It's not as green as I, as, as I thought it'd be. I'd like to get it greener and more fuller. Well, what you're going to find is that everybody's St. Augustine, or just about everybody's, was a little yellow this year. It was because we had so much rain late in the year, and that kind of percolates up all this alkalinity from down, you know, deep in the soil, and that leads to a little bit more yellowing. Any good organic fertilizer will work at greening it back up. Uh, Medina is the one company I know of that puts extra iron into their organic fertilizer. So you might put Medina's Growing Green up there on the top of the list, and you'll find that at most nurseries. But uh, Nature's Creation makes a great uh, alfalfa-based fertilizer. It's good at growing, greening things up. Uh, they call that one just premium lawn food, but it is all organic. Uh, Maestro makes one they call Texas Tea. But if you want probably the one that's going to do the most greening up, look for Medina's Growing Green. And if you want to speed up the process a little bit, uh, get a supplemental iron like green sand or magic sand. Put that on along with your fertilizer. And unless we get back to just the super drenching rains, that's going to give you a much, much deeper green lawn. But even with, gosh, everything you can do, the yards have been a little bit lighter colored. And like I say, it's just a matter that 99% of us in Bear County, especially as you get up into the hill country, not so much southern Bear County. But we've got a lot of caliche down below the surface. When it gets super saturated, it just sends so much alkalinity up toward the surface. That ties up the iron, and all of our yards are going to be a little bit yellower. I got you. Well, I'm down, I'm down here in Crystal City. Okay. Um, well, you should be able to green it up then. Uh, Medina's Growing Green or any other good organics will do it for you. And mix that growing green with uh, some green sand, you said? If you want to add a little bit of green sand, or there, it's sometimes sold as magic sand. It's just another name for a green sand product. That will also uh, increase the greening effect. Okay. I had uh, So whenever I go to water this summer, uh, how often, in, I guess, my little stations, how uh, how long should I water for you should take some little straight-sided containers and set out in the pattern of your sprinkler system and time how long it takes to run out an inch to an inch and a half of water. That's going to vary depending on the kind of heads 
that you use, and it's why I, I will tell you on average it's about an hour per zone, but actually run your system and, and time how long it takes because unless you put out at least an inch of water each time you're watering, you're just getting all your roots up on the surface, which are not going to be drought tolerant and going to be very susceptible to grub damage. So uh, plan on watering. Plan on putting on about an inch of water about once a week should be good for you. And uh, like I say, on average, it's an hour, but every system's different. So you time it, measure it, and then just set each zone on your station to run that long. I got you. So you don't want no less than an inch. Uh, no, at least an inch. Uh, when you're watering 15 minutes, like some people do three times a week, you may keep your grass looking fairly good, but all your roots are right up on the surface where they're susceptible to grubs, where, you know, if you don't water, the grass is going to go downhill in a hurry. When you water at least an inch, you're getting that water well down into the ground. That develops a deep root system that's more drought tolerant, and you don't have to water nearly as often. I got you. All right. I have one more question for you. Yes, sir. My neighbor couple of houses down he had a beautiful yard st augustine just green and full and everything well he started seeing brown spots mm-hmm. and then he started watering those brown spots and uh now his whole yard is completely dead it most likely it sounds like when when did this all start about july or august yes sir yeah it probably was grubworm damage um, the June bugs, we had lots and lots of them last year. They pick the thickest, most beautiful grass they can find to lay their eggs. They're little larval state. In fact, the real small larval states, what they call the first and second larval instars, they dine on grass roots, and for some reason they love St. Augustine. And the problem is that they have eaten practically the whole root system of the grass before the damage even starts showing up. So by the time you start thinking about treating for them, by the time you start seeing the damage, uh, no matter what you do, it's going to get a lot worse. Now, hopefully there's a little bit of grass left that will come back out, but you just need to make it a point to keep an eye on your porch light. If you start seeing, uh, you know what a June bug looks like, the sort of coppery-colored beetles? Yes, sir, good fishing bait. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, but if you see those around your porch lights, that means they're laying eggs all through your grass, and you can get some of the beneficial nematodes. They will knock out the grub worms, the fire ants, the fleas. They're totally harmless to people and, pet, and pets. But last year, a huge amount of grub worm damage around. So just keep an eye out. When you, when you start seeing your fishing bait bouncing off the lights out there, uh, put out some beneficial nematodes, and you'll be totally protected. Well, I appreciate the information. It's always a pleasure. It's what I'm here for, and I appreciate the call this morning. Have a great day. You too, Taylor. Thank you. Bye. All right. It's going to be James, and then it's going to be Lee, and James is first. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? Oh, just great. I got a whole list of things to do today. (laughs) I'm about the same. I I just got back from Las Vegas last night. We did a gift show out there last week. And so uh, it's funny how you can leave leave town for five days and you're five weeks behind when you get back. So, yeah, it's going to be playing catch-up for the next few weeks for me. Yes, sir. I need your advice this morning. I've got a a cabbage out there in the cabbage row that – Something's chewing on, chewed about a quarter of the head, and uh, I can't see any little footprints around it. I looked real hard. Um, I don't know if it's a possum or a raccoon, so I'm trying to figure out what size trap to, box trap to put out there. 
Well, I hate to tell you, but it's a whole lot more likely mice or rats. Uh, I mean, possum probably would eat a whole head of cabbage. Uh, raccoon would have brought 17 of its buddies along to be sure there wasn't anything left for you. So, um, if, you know, other than the, other than the many different cabbage worms and things like that, that get after them. Uh, if, if you're losing a lot at one time, now it could be a rabbit, well, just, you know, you know, it's huh? just one plant, Bob. Okay. Well, I am going to be a little bit suspicious of, uh, field rats. And uh, it's also possible I, I had a cottontail found its way through my fence the other day and uh, was snipping off a few little things. Actually, went after my spinach uh, rather than anything else. But uh, um, I, I, I'm looking at, I'm guessing either either a rat or a, a little bunny. Okay, these uh, these heads are about as big as a bowling ball. Yeah. And uh, the top is, is eaten on. Yeah. And it's just one of them. Yeah. Well, that's that's today. No telling what it'll be next week. So uh, get after it quickly as you can. Okay. Well, that gives me some uh, some good advice and some opportunities to set more traps. <laughs> and put some alfalfa pellets or something like that in there. That'll get them all. Alfalfa pellets are, as you know, they're great fertilizer for the garden, but uh, they sure are attractive to uh, some of those critters. They'd rather eat alfalfa pellets than they would eat cabbage. They've got an alfalfa trailer down at the feed store. I used to go down and uh, clean up the spillage and use it for uh, well, making fertilizer and putting it in my compost pile. I think yeah. I'll take, take my truck down there in a the big bucket and see what I can find. Well, give that a try, but if not, buy yourself the smallest bag of rabbit chow you can find. And uh, that's that's just pelletized alfalfa and a uh, little easier to handle and a little easier to just... Uh, I just put a little handful of it on the ground and set the trap right down on top of it, and they come in and start digging around trying to get to it and catch themselves every time. Ooh, that's a really good idea. I, yeah, that's a real great idea. Okay. <laughs> Believe me, it was learned the hard way, so uh, you can benefit from uh, my loss of veggies before I figured out how to do it. Oh, I don't mind sharing a little bit, but it's... Uh... That was the biggest cabbage out there. Um, <laughs> How do they know? <laughs> I hear, heard you guys talking about broccoli, and uh, this year is the best year I've had of broccoli ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost as high as your watch pocket, and and almost three foot wide. Man, those things are those plants are growing like crazy with all the rain. Um. I like to sell the heads of, I'm not really growing broccoli for the, the what I graze on or those side shoots. Yeah, That's you and I me like. both. Yeah. And sometimes I just snap them off and eat them standing there in the garden. You don't, you don't have to cook them to make them really good. The community gardener, I was having, I couldn't eat it all. So the commu- one of the community gardeners came out and picked a basket uh, for their uh, food kitchen, uh, then came out and picked another one. And I think we got to pick again. So it's, it's a real good year for broccoli, and everybody's having fun. The only thing is, you got to really watch cooking that stuff because it'll go it'll go to soup pretty pretty quick. Oh yeah, and it's still good if it does. And anybody that has old cabbage worms too, I always tell people on broccoli, you know, make yourself a sink full of really salty water 
and submerge those heads in it. And if you've got any of those little green caterpillars down in there, they'll come floating out and it sometimes will see them, but that salt water trickle will flush them out every time. Yeah, I'll put them in. Very good. It's got all the good stuff that uh, mountain Bone green fertilizer and the has to grow, but they they package so is are are just incredible. But yeah, Medina does. Medina makes a whole lot more than what you see on the shelves around. They also make a great liquid humate product, which is uh, really good for a lot of that. Out there, James, I look forward to hearing from you. All right, thanks. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye.